0: Amen, amen. You want to hear something crazy? The king is among us, and his glory surrounds us. I mean, that is like true, right? Our God is alive and active, and his presence is in this room. Wow. Let's do this. Now, the details are often different, however, the stories all sound pretty much the same, or at least familiar, One woman writes and says, I've been married for 24 years and I've not been happy. My husband has been pursuing his own interests and has no time for his family. 24 years is a long time to not be happy. She says, "Uh, the kids are now grown and I'm so lonely. I have no one to do things with. Previous to my marriage, I had a boyfriend whom I really wanted to marry, but he wasn't ready. I strangely happened to run into him a few months ago and we've been spending a lot of time together. I feel God brought him back into my life after all this time. I know you're going to tell me that this relationship is wrong, but don't I deserve to be happy? Isn't it what God wants from me? Doesn't he want me to be happy? A college student writes, I grew up going to church, and when I came to college, I was determined to be a strong Christian. To be honest, it has not been easy. Everyone else seemed to be having such a great time. Meanwhile, I felt like I was just trying not to be miserable. At one point, I confronted one of my friends who was a Christian about some of the parting stuff he was involved in, and he told me that it wasn't hurting anybody and that God wanted him to be happy. That makes sense to me. If God loves me, doesn't He want me to have a good time like everyone else? A couple sits down with the Christian counselor who explains to them what the Bible says about living together outside of marriage, and they're offended. And they offer all these reasons why it's very practical for them to remain unmarried. And then they end with these words, besides all of that, I know that God wants me to be happy. Again, though, the details are different, the stories are all the same. And listen, here's the thing, every one of us has a story like that. I mean, every single one of us in this room has made a decision to do something other than what God wanted us to do because we had bought into the lie that I deserve to be happy. Every single one of us has done that at some time or other in our lives. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. Get it? Good. Now, now we're in the fourth week of this sermon series, Flip the Script a series where we have been exposing the lies of Satan and then overturning them with the truth of Scriptures. But the truth is that many of us have, have uh, believed his lies. And as a result, we have or we are living by those lies. Remember, when we believe a lie, we give it the same power in our lives as if it was true. So again, in this series, we're exposing the lies... Lies that your enemy, the thief, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy the life that God has for you, tells you. And then what we're doing is we're being set free by the truth of Scripture. You know, understand, his truth, when lived out, will set you free. And the reason we're calling this series, Flip the Script, is because every day your enemy hands you a script to read from. And brothers and sisters, if you keep reading from his script... You'll start to live by that script, and his script will determine the story that you live. And so far in the series, we've, we've flipped the script, exposed, and then flipped the script on some of his favorite lies, like, you don't have what it takes. That's a lie. Because in Christ Jesus, you do have what it takes, because you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do the good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Another lie we exposed and flipped the script on was you can't really make a difference. That's a lie. Because in Christ Jesus, you are the light of the world, you're a city on a hill, and listen, light always pushes back darkness and makes a difference. You know, this past week we, we all saw in the news, right? Some darkness unleashed in, in the city of Las Vegas. And, you may be thinking, I don't even know what to do to make a difference. Well, here's a way. If you want to make a difference, I want to give you an avenue. If you go to hopeforvegas.com, um, Judd Wilhite is a, is a preacher of Central Christian Church in uh, Las Vegas. And he has a website where you can go on. And that, they're coming alongside of the families, the people, the first responders. And they are making a difference. Hopeforvegas.com. So, you know, guess what? You can make a difference. And last week we exposed... This lie. You can handle this, whatever your this happens to be. Marriage struggles, financial struggles, depression, financial difficulties. You can handle this on your own. And here's the truth. You can't handle this on your own. And that's okay. Because you have friends to help you. And you have all powerful divine helpers. Jesus, your high priest, the Holy Spirit, your paraclete, right? Your helper. The word paraclete means that, that he has your back, he has your six, that he has your rear guard. And if you were here last Sunday, I, I gotta tell you, it was pretty awesome to watch a bunch of people come forward at the end of the service and flip the script and say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. And a bunch of people standing out there make that same declaration, I can't do this on my own. And, and then Patsy Ramus was the highlight when she says, you know what, I can't handle my salvation on my own. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. I'll just simply accept the promise of of God found in Acts chapter 2, 28, 38, and 39 that if I'm baptized and I repent, I've received the forgiveness of the sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this morning, we're, we're going to unpack, um, expose this lie and overcome with the word of God. You deserve to be happy. Do you think people in our culture believe this lie? Do you think people that attend church, have you ever believed it? Wouldn't you like this lie to be true, right? I mean, it doesn't take a lot of convincing to get us to believe this one, right? And listen, because we believe this lie, it has in turn directed so many of our decisions. As the goal of our life becomes our own happiness, and so it's, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this because this will make me happy. Or this won't make me happy, so I won't do it. You to, and here's the reality. The more you live by this lie that you deserve to be happy, the more unhappy you will eventually become. The more you live by this lie that you deserve to be happy, the more unhappy you will eventually become. Get it? Good. And, and brothers and sisters, You better believe that your enemy, the thief, is very aware of this reality. You see, he knows that if he can get you to believe this lie, if he can get you to make pursuing your own personal happiness the ultimate goal in your life, he knows that he's going to make your life miserable, which makes him very happy. And listen, Scripture is full of examples of people who did something thinking it would make them happy, but when the dust settled, things in their life were not so happily ever after. Eve thought that eating the forbidden fruit would make her happy. Cain thought that getting rid of his brother Abel would make him happy. Esau thought that eating the suit would make him happy. Jacob thought that stealing his brother's birthright would make him happy. Saul thought that trying to kill David would make him happy. David thought that sleeping with another man's wife would make him happy. Amnon thought that lusting after his sister Tamar would make him happy. Joseph's brother thought that throwing him into slavery uh, would make him happy. Samson thought that marrying a Philistine woman would make him happy. Elijah thought that winning a great victory for God would make him happy. Jonah thought that Nineveh would make him unhappy, so he ran from God, hoping that he would find happiness. It didn't work. And after 999 wives, Solomon thought, you know what, I bet you 1,000 wives will make me happy. The rich young ruler thought that keeping his wealth would make him happy. Judas thought that 30 pieces of silver would make him happy. Ananias and Sapphira thought that lying about their offering would make them happy. And listen, people today who believe this lie end up pretty much at the same place, not so happily ever after. And by the way, these are just random names, all right, that I'm about to throw out here. Fred thought that looking at pornography would make him happy. Sally thought that going deeper into debt for that new car would make her happy. Bill thought that embezzling money from his company would make him happy. Crystal thought that sleeping with him would make him love her, and then she would be happy. Alex thought that getting drunk would make him happy, or at least make him not feel so unhappy. Jack thought that that lashing out in anger towards those who hurt him would make him happy. Chloe thought that making life all about herself would make her happy. Jeremiah thought that saying no every time somebody asked for help would make him happy. And so, brothers and sisters, that the enemy tries to get us to live our lives by this lie that you deserve to be happy. I mean, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? But again, even secular studies reveal that there's no quicker way to being unhappy is just to make your life about your own happiness. It's sometimes referred to as the pleasure paradox or the happiness illusion. It's this idea that when you... Make pleasure or happiness the central focus of your existence. It's this idea that the harder you chase after it, the more elusive it becomes. And i am sit in here in church, I, I, as God followers, I know what some of you may be thinking. When you hear me say, hey, it's a lie that you deserve to be happy. You're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Steve. You mean God doesn't want me to be happy? Is that what you're saying? God wants me to be unhappy. Is that what you're trying to tell us today, Steve? So here's how it works. You deserve to be happy. Somehow it gets morphed into God wants me to be happy. So therefore, I deserve to be happy. And here's how I would respond. Yes, God wants you to be happy. But understand, your happiness is not what's most important to him. It's it's not like God woke up this morning and said, you know what? You know what I really... Hope happens in the world today. I hope that Steve Malone is happy today, right? No. Neither my happiness or your happiness is at the top of God's list. And, and, and I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God wants you to be unhappy. I mean, he's a loving father. He doesn't want you to be miserable. However, he wants you to be happy by his definition of happiness. Not, not by the world's definition of happiness, because his definition of happiness actually works. So here's how we're going to attack this study and flip the script on the lie, you deserve to be happy. We're going to walk through some lies that we've all believed that the world has told us about happiness. And then we're going to see what the Word says about happiness. And remember, as we said throughout this series, Scripture is your script cure, right? It's the cure to the enemy script. And see, flipping the script is about you and I making God's Word, right? the script for our life. We're to read the script and then live the script. Read the script, live the script. And guess what? If you're not reading the script, (laughs) you can't live the script, right? So I encourage you, get in the book, read the script, see what God says because I guarantee you, you're already reading the enemy script. And and before we jump into these things, I I, want to share something. Um, ESPN website on May 2015 had a, an article called Split Image. And the subtitle was, on Instagram, Madison Holloman's life looked ideal. Star athlete, bright student, beloved friend. But the photos had did not show the reality of someone struggling to go on. And the article told the heartbreaking story of Madison's suicide. Now everybody looked at her post and thought, man, she's really happy. She's beautiful. She's talented. She's popular. But behind the scenes, Madison was very hopeless and depressed. But there was this pressure, this pressure for her to be happy, to be as happy as everybody else seemed to be happy. And she didn't want people who seemed to be happy to know that she wasn't happy. And I really think there's a big pressure in our world to have this worldly happiness, right? We gotta be happy, happy, happy by the world's definition. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Now, the world says that happiness is found by pursuing pleasure. Has the world ever told you that? Now, in scripture, again, our scripture, we see King Solomon doing this experiment, right? You know, I mean, he said, hey, I'm gonna try all the pleasures in the world and see if it'll make me happy, right? And he went after it with all the gusto he could find. Wherever in the end, you know what he said? Finding happiness and pleasure was like what? Chasing what? Chasing the wind, right? In in other words, you know, like every time he thought he finally found happiness and pleasure, it's gone. It wasn't there. He couldn't keep it. The happiness that pleasure offered never lasted. And I'm certain that most of us have tried to find happiness by pursuing pleasure at least one time, right? right? At least once. And so we know exactly what old King Solomon is saying. I mean, we thought, if only I could experience this pleasure, then I would be happy. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe this pleasure you sought happiness in was, maybe it was a sexual relationship outside of marriage, maybe it was an improper relationship online, maybe it was drugs or alcohol or pornography, maybe it was overeating or overspending, uh, maybe it was the pleasure of hurting and getting back at the people who hurt you, maybe it was just some high, some rush, some activity, some good time, and, and sure, you were happy for a moment. But rather than leading you to deep happiness, it eventually left you feeling pretty unhappy, right? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even a happy hour. It was more like happy 27 seconds, right? That's about all it was. Now, now, Moses was a guy who understood that the pleasure and happiness that sin could give you was very fleeting. We read in Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Moses, when he had grown up, Maybe some of us need to grow up, regardless of our age, right? Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. So Moses had this opportunity, right? You can be known as the son of Spur's daughter, and you can experience all of the pleasures that come with that high position, but instead, he chooses to experience oppression with God's people. Why? Because Moses understands that there's a, there's a deeper happiness that can be found in the fleeting pleasure and happiness that comes with sin. Get it? Good. And if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. I didn't stick in the outline because I forgot. But sure, God wants you to be happy, but not if your happiness leads to sin. Okay? Get it? Good. Yet the word says, happiness is found not in pursuing pleasure, but in pursuing holiness. Now listen up, this is really important. And maybe you've heard someone say something like this. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Anybody ever heard something like that? I think I probably said that before. You know, but I don't really like that statement anymore. Because it pits two things against each other that should actually go together. I mean, if you think about it, what that statement is saying, hey, you know what? You can either choose to be happy (laughs) or you can choose to be holy, right? Right? But you got to choose one or the other because you can't have both. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches that holiness actually leads to true and lasting happiness. See, holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. Instead, they walk hand in hand. And so David talks about this in Psalm one this connection, where he says, Happier those who don't listen to the wicked, happier those who don't go where sinners go. Maybe that's why you're so unhappy. Happier are those who don't do what evil people do. Happier those who love the Lord's teaching. And they think about these teachings day and night, that they're, they're strong like a tree planted by the river, and their tree produces its fruit in season. Now, it's not immediate pleasure. It's not pleasure all the time, but, but in its season, it always produces fruit. It goes on, and its leaves don't die. It's lasting, it's deep, it's real happiness. It's not chasing after the wind, fleeting happiness. And everything they do, Will succeed. And Jesus said in Matthew 5:6, 6, Happier are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, who pursue holiness, for they will be what? Satisfied. That word happy is the word Makarios. Say that with me. Makarios. makarios. I feel like it's something from Braveheart. That one line where I don't understand what they're saying after the first victory. Makarios! Makarios! Right? It's used over 50 times in the New Testament, sometimes translated blessed, sometimes happy, but it's this idea of, of utmost bliss being supremely blessed. It's so much higher than happiness. And you know, and, and if you're, you are pursuing the world's happiness, I think God may feel insulted by you. Like saying, why are you settling and aiming for something so low? Why are you chasing after something that does not last when you can have a and you can be supremely blessed? Jesus says if, if that's what you're chasing after, if you're chasing after holiness, living a life that looks like God's life through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says you're going to experience a different kind of happiness and you're going to be satisfied. And I just want to tell you, if you're here today and you're not satisfied you wouldn't say your life is satisfied and you're chasing after all these pleasures is not working. Maybe you should consider what God says and give it a try. Like, like, like what do you got to lose, right? Only your unhappiness, right? That's it. If you want God's kind of happiness, don't pursue pleasure, pursue holiness. Next, the world says happiness is found by focusing on self, right? Right? Uh, the world tells you that it's really all about you. Do whatever makes you happy. You see, the world wants you to be the center of your world. It, it, it wants you to make all your decisions, you know, what you will do or what you do and don't do, where you'll go and won't go, what you say and won't say. It wants you to base all your decisions based on, hey, will this make you happy? Because you, 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 you deserve to be happy. But here's the truth, the more you become The more your happiness becomes the purpose of your existence, the more miserable you're going to be. In fact, the Los Angeles Times had an article entitled Studies Find Depression Epidemic in Young Adults. And it it talked about how people born in the last 30 years are three to ten times more likely to suffer from depression than their grandparents. And they gave a lot of reasons for that, but one was this. The cultural occurrences that have exalted the individual. Make them focus on them, right? So that someone who's struggling with depression often focuses more and more on not wanting to be depressed, focuses more and more on their own happiness. And culturally, you know, we are, the commercials that we are exposed to, the shows that we watch, the social media that we're involved in kind of exalts the Individual. And again, there is no sure way for you to be unhappy is to make your happiness your life's ambition. And then the world says, happiness is found by focusing on you. You have to look out for number one, and number one is who? That's you. Do What makes you happy? But the word says happiness is is not found in, in, in focusing on self, but in dying to self. Don't look only for the interests of, don't, Wow. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Good advice. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I, I don't know, but I I, I I sense some happiness in those words. I, I sense some makarios in those words, right, as he writes that. He's like, hey, I'm kind of happy I'm living this way. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, make it all about yourself, some of you are doing that, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? A psychologist by the name of Martin um, Seligman wrote a book called Authentic Happiness, and he's got a website on it, and you know, he, he's devoted his life to figuring out what makes people happy. And he did an experiment with one of his classes and where he had the students first go out and engage in some pleasurable activity, something that they would enjoy totally about them. And then he would have them, the same students, go out later where the focus would be completely on other people. And here's what he writes The results were life changing. The afterglow of pleasurable activity, hanging out with friends, watching a movie, eating a hot fudge Sunday, whatever it was, paled in comparison with the effects of one selfless act of compassion. And he says that the students who were involved in these selfless acts would become less self-absorbed, less depressed, and they had a greater sense of community and a decreased sense of loneliness. And he talks about how it's so ironic that when people's primary focus is doing something that will make themselves happy, they get depressed. But when they focus on giving things to other people, Happiness gets thrown in. I mean, it's almost like we're wired up that way. Right? Now, he didn't say that. I did, right? Because we are wired up that way. And we're wired up in the image of God. We're wired up in the image of a God who said, you know, I, I come not to be served, but to serve. A, a God who said, it is more blessed, more precarious to give than to receive. See, there's joy. Deep joy in putting others first. You know, I've been doing this church thing since I was 19. Uh, That's five years. (laughs) Not really. Five plus 34. And you can do the math. And and here's what I found. That the people in church who are the happiest, I mean, they got Makarios written on their shirt, tattooed on the forehead, are not the people who make church all about them. But instead, there are people who walk in these doors and make it about other people in two key ways. One is serving, right? Makarios. Children's ministry needs hope, needs help, right? I guarantee if you step out and do that, you're going to find joy in doing that, right? Or find some place to serve, right? Makarios, you know? And and, and those who serve, they're always the happiest. And, And those who give of their finances, right? Where they're not like stiffing God every week like they do the waiter at a bad restaurant. Because guess what? God God is a good server. He doesn't need to be stiff. Every time, it leads to greater and greater happiness. I mean, why wouldn't we want to serve, right? And make his body stronger. Why wouldn't we want to give to spread the message of his love across the world? And we will experience vicarious. Next, the world says happiness is fueled by having more. All he ever wanted in life was more. He he wanted more money, so he leveraged inherited wealth into a billion dollar empire making him the richest man in the world. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and he became a filmmaker and star. He wanted more pleasure, so he spent great sums of money to indulge every sexual desire. He wanted more thrill, so he designed, built, and piloted the world's fastest airplane. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political deals so that two presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. I mean, he was absolutely convinced that that more would make him happy. But history proves otherwise. At the end of his life, he lay emaciated, sunken chest, eight-inch long fingernails, rotten black teeth. His body was covered in tumors and, and needle marks from his drug addiction. Howard Hughes died believing the myth of Moore, a billionaire junkie, insane by all reasonable standards. Listen, Howard Hughes is not the only person who thought that having more would make him happy. You ever thought that? Just had some more? i would be happy. Uh, Jesus said the following after a guy came up to him fussing because, yeah, hey, I want my fair share of the hairiness. You know, I want what's mine. I want my money. Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And that the word for greed is a compound word that literally means to have more. See, Jesus saying, hey, be careful, be careful of, of always wanting to have more because a man's life, you know, despite what it says, our world says, does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. But despite this, despite his warning, millions of people are killing themselves for more, for more choices, more experiences, more success, more stuff. And we're bombarded every day by millions of messages that, that tell us that more will lead to happiness. That we are just that we're just one purchase or one gut busting experience, right? From happiness and eternal bliss, but it doesn't work that way, does it? Because more always needs what more, <laughs> and it's never satisfied. World says. The happiness found in, is fueled by having more. The word says happiness is fueled by expressing gratitude. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God is saying through Paul that being joyful and giving thanks in all circumstances, that these things go together. So be joyful always, pray continually, and, and give thanks in all circumstances. And he says that, that this, you know, being thankful actually leads to the happiness. It leads to makarios. You see, gratitude amplifies the goodness so we can hear the voice of God. It magnifies the light of God so that we can see the face of God in the midst of our circumstances. Gratitude is thanking God in advance for what only makes sense when we look back. A gratitude is a pathway to the joyful life. Understand, being joyful is not what makes you Grateful. Rather, being grateful is what makes us joyful. Get it? Good. Uh, there was a study done by two guys, Edmonds and McCullough, McCullough, called "I love the title: Count Your Blessings Versus Burdens: An Experimental Investigation of Gratitude and Subjective Well-Being in Everyday Life." Okay, I love that. All right, and and and, and here's what they did: they had t- He had two different groups and. And he said, I want you guys to keep a journal. One said, I want you to keep a journal of all the things each day you're thankful for. The other group, I want you to keep a journal of all the things each day that annoy you. And they kept their journal. One, what I'm thankful for. One, what I'm annoyed by. Now I think some of you, though you weren't in that group, are an honorary member of the annoy group. I mean, you just keep track of everything that annoys you. I mean, you, it's like you wake up and pay attention, thinking, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm not going to look around and just point out all the things that annoy and irritate me. That's what I'm going to do. And, and, and the people around me, I'm not going to pay attention to anything about them that I love and appreciate. Rather, I'm going to pay attention about the things in them that I find annoying. That's what I'm going to do. You know what? Tragically, some people walk into church that way, right? Well, here's what annoys me. I'm annoyed by this. I'm annoyed by that. I'm annoyed by that. And so they're keeping these journals, right? The thankful journal and the annoyed journal. And they turn their journals in. Here's what he said. Those who kept gratitude journals showed markedly greater increase in energy and enthusiasm. They slept better. And they were significantly less depressed. And that's not surprising, right? And we would expect that, right? I mean... I don't know if you knew this, but, but of all the emotions, gratitude is one of the healthiest emotions that we could have. And it, and it unleashes joy and happiness at a very deep level. But carry on, right? And, and here's the deal, here's the deal. And we may not get a piece of paper, but every one of us this week are going to keep a journal, <laughs> aren't we? You know, it's some of, that annoys me. Steve annoys me. God, the parking lot annoys me. You know what, that coffee creamer annoys me. It, it's not flavored, you know. My kids annoy me. My wife annoys me. You know, and, and you're going to do that all week long, right? And some of the other. And I just would encourage you to, not do, to choose to keep a grateful journal and, and, and do maybe three a day, just this week, three a day. You may put that on social media. So much garbage out there. Say, hey, I'm really thankful for this. I'm really grateful for this. And, and see what happens. See what happens. And finally... Uh, The word says happiness is based on your circumstances. The world says happiness is based on your circumstances, right? That circumstances have to be perfect, right? And the way our enemy gets us to believe this, he gives us this script called if only. If only. If only I had a newer home, nicer car, better spouse. If only I had a different job, lived in a different city, went to a different school. If only. If only this were different, if only this was different, if only the circumstances would change, if only, if only, if only, then I would be happy. And so he wants you to kind of have this mindset. And the deal is, if only is always changing, right? I mean, because here, here, here's what's happened. You know, you've had some if onlys that got answered, right? Well, if only I had more money. If only I had a better job. If only we were able to have our own home. If only I had children. You know, if only I got into that school. If only, and guess what? You got your if only, but once nobody has already typed up ready to hand to you, well, here's your next if only chapter that's going to make you unhappy because you don't quite have what you think you want. The world says, if only my circumstances were different, I'd be happy. The word says happiness is based on our relationship to Jesus. And I know that's a Sunday school answer, right? Let's put it on the final board, but it's true, Right? Oh, Jesus, here we go, right? And and nobody said it better than Paul from a prison cell. I've learned a secret to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned a secret to being content and happy in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Like, dude, what's the secret, man? What is it? Man, I want to buy the book, go to the conference, man. I want to go to the seminar, Download the podcast. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's it. He says, you know what? The reason I'm able to be content is because I have a relationship with Jesus. And so my happiness is based on what Jesus is doing me. It's, It's not based on the size of my bank account. It's not based on the mechanical reliability of my car. It's not based on the prognosis from my doctor." It's independent of the circumstances. That's why Jesus in John 16, could he could talk to his guys who he knew were about to be tortured, who, were, who would one day be killed for his sake. And he would say this, you will rejoice, Makarios, and no one will take away your joy. They can't touch it. They can't touch it because it's not dependent on circumstances. It's dependent on Christ. Amen? And that's good news. Now, now we're going to wrap this up, and like every week, it, uh, I wish I had more time. I always take too much time, and like, gosh, goodness. But here's something I, I, I want to make sure I say. I heard some guy say this the other day. I, I really liked it. Some of you may not like it, uh, but here's the truth that will set you free. You don't deserve to be happy. Actually, you deserve to go to hell. I'm serious. You don't deserve to be happy. You deserve to go to hell. And that's not difficult to back up biblically. That's a full tenet of the gospel, right? And, and, and if you wake up every morning thinking, I don't deserve to be happy, I deserve to go to hell, I don't know if that's gonna make you really that happy, right? It, it, it's not, and if you wake up every day thinking, I don't deserve to be happy, that's gonna make you miserable. But here, here's the full story, right? You don't deserve to be happy, you deserve to go to hell, and I added something in here this morning. But God loved you, so Jesus saved you, and that should make you very happy, right? Right? That should make you really, really, really super happy. You you, you see, it's just this assurance of our salvation that no matter what we're going through, no matter what the day brings, we know... The joy of our salvation. I heard it explained this way. Imagine you're a billionaire. That's kind of fun to imagine, right? And you're in New York City riding a cab, and you have three $20 bills in your wallet, and you get out of the cab, and you give the cab a $20 bill for a $10 fare, which would probably never happen, but just imagine, right? We're imagining, right? And, and you, you get back to your, your penthouse and look in your wallet, and you only have one $20 bill. How you had Three. And either you, like, dropped one or maybe you gave the guy two 20s instead of one. Now, are you going to let that ruin your day? No! You're a billionaire, right? And it's just 20 bucks. And, and, and I love that example because, and I don't want to minimize our difficulties, but listen, compared to, compared to the gift of salvation, right, it's just like 20 bucks, right? And so this week, as we go about our week, guess what? Some of us are going to face some hardships, right? And we're going to, some of you are going to be criticized by people. And guess what? Something you wanted to turn out a certain way, it's not going to turn out that way. And something you invested in is not going to give you the return that you wanted. And are you going to let that setback disrupt your life? Are you going to be discontent? Are you going to strike your fist at God and say, I deserve to be happy? If so, then I submit that you don't get it. That as a Christian, you're just not getting it. That you have been saved. And that you are a spiritual billionaire. And you're wringing your hands over $20? When there's a happiness that can be yours that can remain untouched by this world, you don't deserve to be happy. You deserve to go to hell. But God loved you, so Jesus saved you, and that should make you very happy. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we love you. And God, I pray, Lord, all of us, maybe someone in this room thinks that pursuing pleasure is going to make them happy, and they're miserable. Think making life all about them, they're miserable. Some people think, I got to have more, 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 and they're miserable. Or they're just waiting for circumstances to be perfect, and they're not, and they're miserable. God, I just pray the day that we realize that it's only in pursuing holiness and dying to ourselves and expressing gratitude, Father, and and, in having a relationship with you, that we can have joy in all circumstances, because we are spiritual billionaires. In Jesus' name, amen.